Hi, dreamers. This is Lucy, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Expats with Lucy Jan, where I interview expats from all across the globe to share their inspiring and motivating stories. Today, I'm here with Brian. If I can describe Brian in one word, that would be one of a kind and hard to find a great leader. He's originally from America, and it's been over 10 years since he moved to the Netherlands. He's been working in the tech industry for over 15 years, and he's been in a leadership role for many years as well. His career itself tells us already how great a leader he is, but just to add one more here, he is the award winner of the Multiplier of the Year, which is the award that the Wiseman Group gives to the world's top leaders. I'm super excited for this podcast in case you haven't noticed yet, so let's get started. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to, uh, it's good to talk with you again. I've got so many questions. This is going to be a learning session for me as well. So a lot of questions prepared for you, but let's begin with how it all started since the beginning. So my first question to you is, have you been always a leader type since you were young? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think about when I was younger, I've probably... Like most other kids, I felt like uh, kind of an outsider and a bit of a strange person, right? So I think that's, I think a lot of people feel that way when they're young. Um, you know, the idea of leadership really didn't, didn't materialize for me until, you know, really, you know, college and post-college years. Okay. I can't believe you were an outsider. I don't really see that at all. Oh, I, I don't know that I was. I I think... I think we all feel that way, right? So yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will ask and they're like, the way that you're going to meet some friends that you've known for years and they're going to give you a very different version yeah. of high school versus what you saw. Yeah, true. You know, the people that you see as incredibly confident, you find out later were just terrified that someone was going to find out something about them, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, personally, it's, um, yeah, like most kids probably felt uncertain and kind of strange sometimes yeah true then how did it all start because you mentioned that you were not really sure of the uh you know the leadership this career thing until postgraduate then how did you start you know your career in sales uh it was kind of by accident well or by necessity really um i had gotten my degree in psychology and tried to pursue that and just found that a professional career in psychology just didn't appeal to me. And, you know, learning that through the interview process and trying a few different things. And so, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, post, you know, graduated from the university. I've got a degree in psychology and what I thought I was going to do is not something that I really found interesting in practice. So, um, you know, I it just, one day I decided I was going to leave. I'm going to move away and do something different. For some reason, I chose Austin, Texas, because it sounded like a great place to move to. And in the process of telling people that I wanted to move to Austin, 
I connected with a, you know, an old roommate of mine who put me in touch with an old friend that we had met on spring break years earlier, who was working for a tech company that was hiring people. And so I got in touch with him and he said, you know, do you want to work in sales? And at that point, financially, I couldn't say no. I, yeah, the answer was absolutely yes. And I do remember, I just walked into the office. I didn't have an interview scheduled. I just walked into the office and wow. said, Hey, I'd like to work here. And, um, I, you know, I remember them telling me that, you know, look, this is a fortune 500 company. It really doesn't work that way. But, uh, I, I ended up getting an interview and, um, you know, a large part of me getting hired was just the fact that I walked in without a, without a scheduled appointment. Uh, helped me get a job in sales. Yeah. So you just like one day you just pack everything, you just travel to Austin in Texas and just like, hey, I need a job. That's yeah, it? that's exactly no. the way that worked. Yeah. Wow. How, how yeah. did you do that? Because like, it requires a lot of, I don't know, confidence or I don't know, some kind of like urge to do so. I don't think I could do it, but like in my mind, I wish I can do, but like, I think it's amazing that you, you could do that. <laughs> It didn't, it didn't feel amazing at the time. It just felt like the right thing to go do next. You know, the, you get to a point where your desire to do something else is greater than your desire to do what you're doing and you just go. And at that point you have some clarity, you can share your, this is my mission, my goal, my objective. And you start to share that with people. And when you have that clarity, it's very easy for people to help you. Because we all love to solve problems and generally everybody wants to help you do something. They just don't know how. And the more clarity you can put behind what you're trying to do, it's, very, it's much easier for them to help you solve that problem. And, and that's really the way it worked. I decided what I was going to do. I started sharing that with a lot of people and a few people came through with an idea and an opportunity that helped me get there. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like having the clarity is the probably one of the most difficult step, like, you know, until you get the clarity, you just like get confused and everything. Once you get the clarity, you know, you can take actions on and on. Then, so you started your sales career by accident, but it's been over, I don't know how many years now, like 15, 17. Much <laughs> more than that. We're Much more than that? 25 years. Yeah. 25 years. That's yeah. remarkable. Wow. Because did you like sales? Like how, how was your experience at first? Sales was, it was not what I expected to do. And suddenly being, you know, finding that I was good at it or, or at least better than average at it and finding some level of success had helped perpetuate this idea that I wanted to stay in sales. You know, my whole, my entire career hasn't always been sales. I've worked in sales operations uh, for a long period of time as well. And, um, you know, it's great. You, you get, to, you get to talk with people, you get to help them solve problems. You, you, yeah, it's a very social uh, type of work and, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Do you think, uh, you know, there are certain, you know, skills like soft skills that you need to be a great salesperson in your opinion? You know, there's this, I think a lot of people have an idea that you have to be an extrovert to be in sales or even to be in a leadership role. And it's not really true. You know, and I've taken, you know, I've, we've probably all done the MBTI and, oh, yeah. and I always come out on the, 
kind of on the cusp of being an introvert. So I'm not overly extrovert and I'm not overly introvert. I'm right on the line, right? So I do come out as introvert. Um, I don't think it's really necessary to be an extrovert to be good in sales. If you are, if you're interested in the product that you're taking to market, you understand it and you have some understanding of why people buy things, um, it works. And, um, you know, I think that those are both good qualities to have. It, it really helps to understand what you're selling. You know, who are you selling to and what is it that you're taking to market? How much do you believe in it? You know, the, the, the for me, it's really important that the products and services that, that I'm selling or taking to market, I really believe are important. Hmm. And for the, so you think about like cybersecurity, right? We both worked in cybersecurity for a while. That's, that's a great mission to be on, right? I to know. Go make, <laughs> to go make the digital world a safer place for people is, uh, it's a great mission. And I think that, you know, you wake up in the morning and realizing that you're going to help make the world a better place for a lot of people. You know, it's easy to go sell that. Hmm. I, I 100% agree with you. 100%. Yeah. You were, you were in it as well, right? Does, was, does that resonate with you? The idea of helping people... I guess yes. safe. imagine your parents, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because like sales is like a doctor, right? You're just, in my opinion, I guess, like, you know, solving problem, you know, um, you have your clients and then you find out their needs and then try to find the best solution possible. Like in terms mm-hmm. of cybersecurity, like if they're going to buy a product for their, uh, you know, infrastructure, they need a solution, but why not us? Right. But if I believe in the, in our solution, then they're going to, invest in, in, in us. So I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other quality, you really have to create some level of trust with people in order to, to really sell to them and feel good about it. You know, the next day, mm-hmm. it's important to be able to build trust with people and to build trust is really, you have to invest in the person that's on the other side of the table to understand who they are and do they really understand that? Um, I think it's difficult to to sell something to someone if they don't trust you. Hmm. Yeah, true, true. Well, okay. Then, all right, so you moved to Texas. You were mm-hmm. working at Dell. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Why, like, how did you move to the Netherlands all of a sudden while working in Dell? You know, so I didn't get a promotion, so what happened was um, I uh, I interviewed for an internal role. I didn't get the the I didn't get it, the job, and so I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to take this as a message that I need to do something different. So I was really planning to move to New York, and a friend of mine, he was living in New York. We were on the phone talking about it one day, and he asked me this question. He said, "Why are you stopping in New York?" you can you can go anywhere in the world that you want to go why are you stopping in new york and it was this question that really stuck with me and i thought gosh what a great question for him that's a great question yeah yeah (laughs) and um, so it opened up this new thinking for me of okay well if i have this once in a lifetime opportunity to make a big change in my life how big could i make it and I just recently traveled to Ireland with another friend that had worked in Ireland for a while. And I had another friend or colleague that uh, was doing some international work as well. And 
So I reached out to both of them and asked if they, you know, could help advise me on how to potentially work abroad. And, you know, ultimately that resulted in, uh, you know, getting my CV across the, you know, across the oceans there. And, uh, yeah, I got a, a message back saying, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to work in sales or do you want to work in operations? And that kind of, that kicked off the interview process and eventually took me to, uh, to Amsterdam. And I'd never been here before. It wasn't as if this was a destination for me. Um, there were a couple of opportunities that were popping up around, um, you know, the international market, but I'd never been to Amsterdam before. And so I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And I Googled it and it looked like a great place to go live. And so I, that's how I ended up here. Wow. <laughs> that's a very great story. So you had no friends in Amsterdam at all, and you, you haven't traveled to Amsterdam before you make a decision? No, didn't do a trip. There wasn't really time. You know, I, we were in the process. I'd already put my house on the market. I sold everything I had, put a few things in storage, and, you know, working on that timeline, it, yeah, there wasn't really time for me to do a visit. So I just said, okay, let's go. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm... I, I, I arrived here on a Saturday and I started work on Monday morning. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which month did you move? Do you remember? October. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember when I like officially, officially moved to Amsterdam, uh, it was November. And I remember the weather was crazy cloudy. Yeah. Was October okay? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, October is still, it's the Netherlands, so it's cloudy and rainy often, right? Um, there's a lot of beautiful sunny days here. And when it's sunny here, it's like no place else in the world. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it, it's pretty rainy in October. And it was a stark contrast from Austin, Texas. You know, Austin, you know, the days at that time were much longer than they were here. I'd never had the experience of, you know, the sunset before five o'clock in the, in the afternoon is... You know, it was an unusual experience. Yeah. Wow. Then how was your first year in Amsterdam? You had zero friends. Well, although you got a job before, but how was the adjustment? And um, the language is different. You know, they don't speak like they speak English, but like it's not their first language. Right. So. Yeah. My first well, my initial friends came through work. There were a few other people on international assignments in the same office and, um, and, in, and my, when I was in Austin, uh, our, our financial controller, she was from Ireland. And so she had given me the name of a person that was working in Amsterdam that she knew from Ireland. So he was also in finance. And uh, yeah, my first friends were really through work and everything kind of branched out from there. And that all happened within the first year. They took me to a, a party and... I remember I wanted to go home. I was tired. I'd been there for only a week and I wanted to go home and go to bed. And it was maybe 10 o'clock on a Friday evening at this, uh, at this party. And as I was leaving, um, a, a small group of people asked me why I was leaving. And so I explained to them that I had just moved there from the United States and they adopted me. So there were three Dutch people uh, uh, that adopted me. And then they started inviting me on boat parties. And it was a really, yeah, I think I got really lucky. Um, 
and I made some some very good friends very quickly that I'm still in contact. You know, they're wow. they're still my friends you know, 16 years later, and uh, so I, I felt like I was very lucky. And the first year, you know, outside of friendship, you know, being in a, a a very you know it's a different culture. Things happen differently. Um, the supermarket is different. You know, you have these kind of funny experiences, right? So you're what I realized is that my first year was a bit tiring because you're, you kind of have this radar on in the background mm-hmm. all the time because, you know, subconsciously, you know, that things aren't the same here as they are where you're from. Right. So, yes. so there's this energy that you're, 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 you're using up to kind of keep mm-hmm. these subconscious things going on. Right. So, you know, crossing the street or how do, you know, how do you turn on your power and how do you get the cable TV to work at your house? Things yeah. like that. And I remember, you know, my first experience in the supermarket, I wanted to buy milk for my coffee. And you know, for anybody that's been to the Netherlands compared to the United States, the dairy section here is huge. You know, there's a lot, a lot larger selection of cheeses and milks and yogurt. And so I, I bought what I thought was milk. And the next morning when I went to pour it in my coffee, it came out really slow, you know, then realizing that I had actually bought, um, it's a, it's kind of a yogurt type, uh, mm. dairy product called Vla, which is nothing like milk at all. Right. In fact, it was much sweeter than what I expected it to be. So, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. you know, the, the first year there's a lot of these experiences. Yeah. How was it for you? I mean, you were, you were here. Well, yeah. I, I, same as you, like there are like for me, like one of the most fascinating thing for me was like going to the bank because you know, I don't know about America, but I think America same. But like, I am not really used to getting mail from the bank. When I go to bank, when I go to bank in Amsterdam, when I went to bank in Amsterdam, I, I think I, I remember I created, you know, I don't know, a bank account or something. I opened my bank account and then they, I needed to wait like three days. And then I was waiting for the mail or something like that. I remember that. And then it, it was very bizarre to me because I'm so used to this fast, fast, fast kind of like culture. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Asian yeah. culture. But, you know, yeah, that was uh, one experience that I remember. And another thing that I really loved about, you know, Amsterdam is I remember everyone was like riding a bike after partying. So like when we go out, uh, yeah. at night everyone brings their bike to the club or to the bar and at midnight everyone is like riding bike to home if you're living in downtown and it was so yeah. so great because like when I'm I'm a little bit tipsy and drunk and like just random strangers together <laughs> you're riding yeah. bike together there's no car on the street so that was like I don't know the memorable experience for me okay so yeah yeah uh, bikes are a huge part of the culture here and uh, mm-hmm. i think if you really want to be part of what's happening you really have to dive into it so learning what you can about the language and culture and and how people operate here and trying to be part of it i mean i don't think you lose your identity but um it isn't I, I think if you really want to be successful and happy in a foreign country you really have to invest some time to understanding you know, what is important there? How do things work? Why are they this way? What's the history? Mm-hmm. Those, those are all important things to learn. Yeah, exactly. Being cur- more curious about their culture, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, why else would you work? Why else would you go work abroad if 
you didn't want to learn something about, about where you're going. Hmm. Do you think your, well, not identity per se, but like, do you think your personality or your perspectives to see the world has evolved ever since you moved to the Netherlands? Like comparing yourself like before when you were just living in America? It's certainly different. Um, my view on, on Europe and the world is very different now than it was when I arrived. I don't, I'm sure some of that comes from being here. You know, another part of that comes from being, you know, 16 years older than I was when I arrived. I've read more. I've paid attention to more. You know, what I do recognize is that uh, the news that, that I receive here is very different than the news that, you know, my friends receive in other parts of the world. And uh, so that does create a, a different perspective. Um, I've also had a much broader exposure to a lot of different cultures. I mean, we, well, you know, we worked together briefly. There were 38 different languages in that organization. And, you know, with 38 different languages, you're, you're exposed to a lot of different things. You, you've, you become more comfortable being in environments where maybe you don't understand everything that's being said around you. And so you learn to understand in different ways. So I do think that it's changed me in my worldview, not just living here, but you know, the opportunity to be exposed to so many different people from other countries and different backgrounds. Hmm. Great. Um, you mentioned that at the interview with Think, um, while you were on a six-month sabbatical from Dell, I believe is when you were living in Amsterdam, I guess, like after you moved to Amsterdam, um, you started questioning about your passion and purpose, et cetera. <laughs> How did it all start? And, you know, did you, like, what, what were your findings or what were you searching for? I guess that's the better question, I guess. So, I went, I, I wanted, I, I ended up going back to school. It's kind of strange how I got there, right? So I, I had planned to take this sabbatical from Dell. Uh, I was going to take off six months and, you know, it actually turned into 18. So it turned into a year and a half. And, um, you know, I had a friend that was traveling around the world and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Burning Man. I think you should come. And so I did. It was my first experience there. And in, in kind of this serendipity that happens when you're out trying new things. Uh, a, I reconnected with a friend who was there as well. And she lived here in Amsterdam. And I, after we came back, we were comparing experiences and I shared with her that, Hey, I, I really want to do things differently. You know, I've had this career and I'm not really certain what I want to go do next. I want to try some new things. And she, at that point, said, I think you need to meet these people that I'm working with. And so she was one of the, uh, the people working at Think. And she introduced me to the recruiters there and the executive leadership program. So I went. And, and so I was fortunate enough to get accepted into this program and then began meeting with my coach. So you have a coach that's assigned to you in the program at the time, you know, this was several years ago. And there was this question that was coming up around my classmates, which was, well, what's your passion and purpose? And it was really intimidating to be around a group of, and a lot of these folks are social entrepreneurs and have written books and, you know, and I'm there and I just left this commercial career and 
they're, you know, it's intimidating to be around people that are very certain about who they are and what they want to accomplish, right? You meet people and it's like, oh, you're a doctor. Yeah. I, and that's very certain. And I didn't have that level of certainty. So when I was being asked this question, I just didn't have an answer for it. And so it really began to trigger these other questions about, okay, well, how did I get here and why am I doing this? And ultimately what I landed on was I, re I really didn't know. I didn't know what my passion purpose is. What I began to understand and, and really began to learn how that worked much, much later was that I had never really taken the time to understand what my values were as a professional and as a person. And, you know, what had happened at the time was that there was a disconnect, right? I never really defined it, but I did know that there was some disconnect somewhere that sent me off on this new journey to go and try something new. And ultimately it was that, you know, it, I hadn't really defined my values. And so by understanding better what my values were, it helped me get a little bit more focused. But at the time it was just, I don't know. And so what came out of that was a, um, a pitch. I had to pitch my new idea to my other classmates and I didn't have one. So I pitched that. I pitched this oh. idea that I don't know what I want to go do next. And I invited everyone to invite me to do something that, Wow. that they know more about than me. And yeah, it, it worked. I got invited to all sorts of interesting things. I didn't get to do everything that I was invited to, but I ended up in some pretty interesting situations, um, you know, medical conferences, which is, there's no way I would end up in a medical conference, but I was there. <laughs> and, you know, just talking with people and, and interacting with folks, you really learned that, you know, regardless of the industry, everyone's out trying to solve similar problems. They have very similar questions and they personally, they've had very similar experiences. They're just in a different industry. And because, you know, we're so encapsulated in our own industry, we don't really get that experience and exposure. And so it was this really great opportunity to go figure out my passion and purpose. You know, the, my classmates ended up renaming that. They call it Finding Finley, which sounds really kind of. I like that. It's hard to, yeah, <laughs> it's funny to say that to people. But, you know, what that really led me to is that um, what I found through all of that is I have I really am interested in people. I love talking to people. I, I like learning how relationships work and communication works. And I just took away from that that I like to help people. I get a high level of satisfaction from that. And, you know, from this idea of you know, what is your passion and purpose, the best answer that I could come back with and one that I feel comfortable with is that I like to help people. True, true. I mean, regardless of industry, like whether you're working as a doctor or, or in sales or anything, like helping people is like literally the same, like, I don't know, essence, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about this uh, just the other day. It's like, I think some people have a passion for automobiles or watches or food. And I think that those are, you know, food's a worthwhile pursuit. I can't think of something mm -hmm. that is, is, is easier to share with other people than food. It's just, it's a really simple thing that you connect on. But I, yeah, my passion is people. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I like to help folks. So before this, you know, uh, the sabbatical 
like you were you weren't really sure. Well, actually, you mentioned that you didn't you didn't really think about your value, so you felt some disconnection there. And after the program, I think you now realize that oh, actually, my passion is helping people. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. And after that, how has this changed you in the working environment? I I would say. I think me. Or I, like most people, don't really get introduced into this into a concept of leadership until much later in their management responsibilities, right? So a lot, I think a lot of people get promoted to being a manager, and there's you know I'm a manager, and we do that for a few years, and then something breaks.、Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, something goes wrong, and it forces you to go and explore something else to get back on track. You know, fortunately for me, that happened. You know, things kind of broke,、mm-hmm. and you know, I, it wasn't successful, and I needed to make a change, and that forced me to ask myself and other people around me these questions. It brought me back to, okay, well, leadership. What is that? And and that's really how I got into it. This idea of, okay, well, what makes a good leader? And Um, this idea that I wanted things to be different was really around this idea of like, how do I scale that out? You know, if if for example, I think we've all worked for someone at some point in time that was a very top-down leadership, a very authoritarian, authoritative leadership style, right? So just do what I tell you to do, and you can do that for a while, and then you you really grow past that. You become more mature as a as an employee or a professional, and you you want to grow past that. And at some point, you have your own ideas, and you're in an environment where no one wants to listen to them,、mm. right? And the opposite side of it, if you're an authoritative leader, you're you are as good as that organization will ever get.、Hmm. And、mm, and that just didn't make sense to me, you know, because there are so many people around you that have great ideas, they've got good input. And and so being able to you know be open and listen to that was something that I was very curious about, and so that really kind of pushed me along that that、uh, continuum of moving from, I guess, to a more、uh, open style of leadership. Right? I really wanted to scale that out. So how do leaders create more leaders? Hmm. Wow. I really like that. Wow. I I don't think I've ever heard of that. To be honest. Yeah. Which part? Like how the leaders can create other leaders? Is that what you said? Right. Yeah. Well, it's um. So you know, the, the, you go back to like Liz Wiseman's book around、um, multipliers. That, that's really what it's about. You know, are you multiplying leadership in your organization?、Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea. You know, the, the and that's how you really scale. So say you're building an organization.、Um, If you're building other leaders, well, then they're going to build more leaders, and things are going to go a lot faster. They're also going to go in directions that that、uh, are consistent with the mission and values of your organization, and、hmm. and that helps everyone kind of move in the same direction or general direction, right?、Uh, and it goes a lot faster. I mean, think about it. Like, how boring is it that you know your job is to wake up and tell people what to do? That just sounds awful. But some people like、go、that kind that of like around, power. Like, go go、yeah. flip that around where 
you know, my job is like, I'm going to wake up and somebody's going to bring me an idea that's going to change the way we do everything. That sounds a lot more exciting. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I really like that. Then can you give, give us some examples? Like, how do you actually do it? Like, how do you actually go and ask other people to come up with, you know, different ideas? And how do you actually, you know, bring more leaders into the room? Any, any examples that you can think of? You know, I think every we probably all had the experience where we sit in a room and somebody, your manager says, okay, I need ideas on what we're going to go do next. And and that's just miserable. You're like, oh. Nobody answers. Nobody, yeah, no one answers that. So so how does that work? I think, um, I think what's, you kind of have to lead by example. So I'm pretty transparent with folks. In fact, that's, you know, from a value standpoint, that's important to me to be transparent um, I'm, I'm very open with, you know, the people I work with, of, you know, what's valuable to me? How am I going to work? What are the values and behaviors that I expect in the organization? And then you build that out into a hierarchy to say, okay, well, here's, here's our values. Um, here's our mission and vision. Um, you know, and then getting that all connected to the business objectives, right? So you build out some imperatives. Okay, these are the things that we have to do every day or every week or every month or every quarter in order for, to achieve our objectives, right? And you go build that out and everybody knows how to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think at any point you say, okay, well, you know, give me your ideas on how you're going to get to your plan. It is really, you know, can we give everybody a roadmap so that they can go and create their own journey. Hmm. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, so there's another thing around that. You really have to create a safe space for everybody to operate there, right? And you do have to create a high level of trust with the people around you. And that takes some time. You know, you can, you can say a lot of things and you can write a lot of things and create PowerPoint presentations with all, you know, all this that we've just talked about. Right. But you have to demonstrate that behavior daily. You have to hold yourself as a leader and just, you you don't have to have people reporting to you to be a leader. You can lead yourself. You can lead the people around you without having a formal structure. A large part of leadership is leading by example. You know, demonstrate the behaviors that you want to see in your organization and wow. people will begin to do the same thing. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed right now. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, okay. I, I this is all this talk. Right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's more difficult to do it than it is, you know, to talk about it. But, you know, part of leadership is, is really understanding, you know, how it works. What does it mean to you as an individual? What does it mean to the people around you? And, you know, is there intent? Is it conscious? It's, it, that's part of it. You know, how do these systems work? And uh, I've, I've got another question. Um, you mentioned that creating a safe space is very important and earning a trust uh, is important as well. But my question is, you know, like, I guess... Um, if you have a team, then each one of them is different, I guess. So each one mm-hmm. of them, their personal values, they go to work every day or, you know, you know, those kind of things can be very different. Then 
how do you motivate different people <laughs> to achieve the objective, I guess? I don't really think you can motivate anyone to do anything. Mm -hmm. I think when you get to that, it goes back to these very old ideas around carrots and sticks. And mm. you know, if you're talking about carrots and sticks, I think you're already in the wrong place, right? You need to, you know, tear out a new sheet of paper that's clean and start over. Um, you know, have you, do you, have you established clear objectives that everybody buys into? Does everyone know what they are there to go do? And that's, that's just the framework that you work in. You know, if, if your job is to make sure that you know, as simple as the dishes are done every day. Okay. Well, second, okay. Do you want to do that? Does that give you energy? Do you enjoy it? And if the answer is no, well, there's no amount of motivation that you're going to get, you're going to create with someone to get them to do the dishes every day. So then maybe you just need to reframe doing the dishes. Mm. Is it okay? Well, what would make this exciting for you? Ask yourself, like, what would make doing the dishes exciting? Hmm. Right, maybe you wow. get to listen to whatever music you want to listen to at that time as loud as you hmm. want, right? Okay, well then doing the dishes takes on a whole new dynamic. Or yeah. you know, you create a new rule that no one ever does dishes alone or just something else, hmm. right? I think when you create that, that type of an environment, it's hard to not want to go do what you need to do. And, you know, creating a vision around it, right? We're going to do dishes better than anybody's ever done dishes in the entire history. Of doing oh, dishes, yeah. Right? Um, yes. You know, whatever it may be that you can get behind. And I think that's where it all comes from, right? I can't motivate someone. Motivation comes from the person that you're with. You know, if you're working with somebody or, or collaborating with somebody that just doesn't want to do it, it's not going to happen. And I think, you know, your question brings up this other idea of, Okay, well, how do you, how do you work with people? And and collaboration is a word that comes up a lot. And uh, you know, recently uh, I, we did a program with Think. As a matter of fact, we brought them in because I wanted to help us understand how do we go drive collaboration mm. with other organizations. Um, you know, it's how do you go break down those silos between organizations? And it was I learned a lot. You know, it was a, it, it, kind of the breakthrough thinking for me and what I hadn't really considered is this. There is no one that will tell you that they don't collaborate. <laughs> Just think not. about it. Right? Yes, if someone not. says, oh, well, are you collaborative? <laughs> of course I am. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so no one's going to say no to that. So, you know, they introduced as soon as they said that to me, I thought, okay, this now we're in a new place, right? This is a new idea. And... And what really came out of it is that in order to collaborate with people, you have to create a high level of trust. And in order to create a high level of trust with anyone, you, you have to know each other. Mm -hmm. So if you want to collaborate with someone, if you want to connect with someone, the first question you have to ask yourself is, what do I know about this person? And if you don't know anything about a person it's going to be very difficult to collaborate with them because they know it. They're going to figure it out. And you know, the, the best way to go and drive you know, that collaboration to work across cultures is to go learn about that person. 
Hmm. Like learning about them, like personally or professionally, like personally, professionally. What what's your history? Where have you been? Um, it's like it's like today, right? Where you know, I, it's like I don't want to share all the secrets behind what you do, but part of what you do is you've done research about the person that you're interviewing. Mm. Do you know how much more comfortable that made me feel about working with you because I knew you had done this research? Yes, I did a good job. Yeah. So <laughs> it pays off, you know, it, that idea of, you know, if you really want to collaborate with someone, if you want to go build something, you have to know who you're with. Hmm. Wow. I'm learning a lot today. Okay. I've got, I've got <laughs> more too. questions. Are you okay with that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. So um, earlier you, you, you talked about, you know, creating a safe space. And I think this is one thing that, you know, um, how to say, a lot of organizations are, you know, a lot of organizations challenges, I guess, like creating safe space, I think. Um, and you mentioned that you believe in asking for help, right? Um, so in organization, how do you create, you know, how, 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 you know, how do you encourage people to ask for help uh, without them feeling very vulnerable or humiliated, especially, you know, I guess like organization, like sales organization, where it's very result driven in a way, you know, when we need help or, you know, have, have any questions or any guidance, it's, it's often, it could be a little bit, not very easy to ask for help. How do you create that, those kind of like safe space per se? There are, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. Um, the so part of leading by example. Hmm. So if, if you as a leader want the people in your organization to feel comfortable bringing problems to you, I think you as a leader need to be comfortable bringing problems to them. Oh, wow. I'm just clapping right now. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's, oh my gosh. Wow. So there is some... You know, there's a there's a certain level of vulnerability that you have to bring back, right? If you're, I mean, for lack of a better word, if you're like this Superman or Superwoman or Superperson, let's say, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very difficult for somebody to want to come to you with a problem, right? You know, if you're infallible and always right, and you know, it's going to be difficult for somebody to want to bring something to you. The other is, you know, by doing that, you're opening the door. And I, as a leader, I think we have to open the door. Look, the, often, you know, the goals and objectives, especially in a sales organization, it's not just, you know, did you make your number? It's a question of, okay, did you sell the right products? And did you sell them on time? And did you forecast correctly? And did you make your commit? There's a lot of pressure to go do that. And, you know, some of those things are non-negotiable. And... You, know, you create these windows of opportunity to to have questions, right? Hmm. Did we did we explore the the sales pipeline early enough to affect the outcome at the end? Did we have a discussion about okay, well, have we 
you know, did we ask all the right questions? What could we possibly need help with that's going to make sure or ensure that we go and deliver these numbers? I think as a leader, you have to open the door and initiate that yourself. Um, and then behaviorally, you've got to create a place where people feel comfortable talking about failure. Wow, that's a that's a that's a hard one to talk about failure. Yeah, I, I haven't I really seen that like a lot, to be honest. Like talking about failures because usually organizations they talk about all the successes, right? But not really talking about failures, though. Yeah. But, you know, if you really think about it, like all the best stories, all the best movies, the things that you really enjoy watching, the lead character fails. I know. Exactly. Right? I know. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and if you, you know, if you, people are always curious and like, okay, well, well, you know, when you're making a film, like what are the outtakes, you know, or you, your favorite song, you want to hear the demo track. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, and, you know, I think all of us, you know, I think on the surface, we all want to be perfect, but intuitively we love learning about, okay, well, what worked and what didn't work and what were you uncertain of? We love that story that's behind. And so for us to get more comfortable with that, I think is incredibly important. You know, I, I did a, I did a broadcast with my team. I think I'd been in this new job for about a year and it was a completely different industry, completely different culture. And it was, I was drowning. And, you know, at the same time, we're very successful. So I think that there's this, this air of success that's there and people think, oh, this is great. But, you know, just under the surface, it's like, you just feel like you're barely hanging on, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? <laughs> what do I not know about? You know, what are the, what's the question that I haven't asked about the thing that's going to, I don't even know is going to be a problem, right? And, you know, so I had to share with the team about, you know, my learning curve. Where was I in the, you know, this traditional learning curve that you see, which is kind of the sine wave, right? You share with you your team here. your learning curve? Yeah, absolutely. Right? You, you, wow. you start here and then you drop down and then eventually you, you know, you end higher than you began. But the middle part's really tough, right? The trough of despair at the bottom. And, you know, I was, I really, I was trying to get the team to go and try some new things, get some new certifications, work in a different way. It was, it was very uncomfortable for everyone. And so for me, it was important that they knew that, look, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this as well. It's a little bit different for me, but, you know, here's where I am in the process. And, you know, my question for them is, where are you? Wow. Because if you're in the trough of despair, you're right. It is uncomfortable. It is just feels really disorganized sometimes and recognize that. Wow. Indeed, leading by example, I guess. That's really great. I mean, I, I really like that. I think at the same time, I guess by human nature, a lot of people find it very difficult sharing their learning curves or sharing their failures because especially as a leader, they might worry that, oh, if I share this, I might look weak or, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Right. That's true. I, I don't, how do you, I mean, you, you have done things that I think you never imagined that you would have done. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Doing podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so you're you're learning new things, you're trying new things. You know, is it the same for you? How did you how did you deal with that level of vulnerability and discomfort? That's a great question. I think uh, I think my answer is the the one thing that you you talked about earlier. I forgot you what you said. Like when you know the clarity about the clarity, when when you know exactly what you want in your life, clarity, you just have to do it. Like, yeah, that that would be my answer. Yeah, but yeah, so at that level, I don't really think too much about vulnerability anymore because I'm so clear on my goal and my direction. So yeah, so you've got it all set up, right? Here, this this is where I want to go. These are the things that I need yeah. to do to get there. This is how I'm going to get there, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it much easier to be vulnerable at that point because yeah. it's like hmm. whatever it takes to get to the goal, you're willing to 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 try it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. Just a couple more questions. So <laughs> a couple more last questions. So um, you are you know, you are a winner of the multiplier of the year, you know, by the uh, wise man group. And uh, you've been in a leadership role for many, many years. But still now, you know, you've, you're, you keep trying to be at better at it, I think. Um, what drives you, you to be interested in leadership and having a growth mindset? Um, leadership is about scaling. I think if you want to do bigger things, if you want to accomplish things where you, you don't have to be there every day, then you really have to invest some effort into leadership. It's just, it creates a better outcome. And a lot of the lessons from leadership, have, I feel like have helped me be a better person. Um, and I stole this from, I think there was an interview with Barack Obama years ago and there, it's three words that I, and I, I think I stole this from him, but the idea is learn, grow, and serve. Hmm. And so I, you know, I apply that to my job and my life and, and where I am. And so, you know, if I'm learning things, if I'm growing as a person, I'm able to help others, then I'm probably in the right place. And when one of those three things or two of those three things are not happening, I realize that I'm probably not where I need to be. You know, and I'm not happy with what I'm doing. The, the idea that, you know, I don't think you've ever reached, for me, I'm not really going to reach a destination where, okay, I've learned everything. You know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I, how frustrating it is that you only have, what, maybe 80 years on this planet to do all of the things that you want to do. It's not, it's not possible. And so at no point do I think you can ever really take a break from, okay, well, I'm not, I've, I've learned enough. I'm done. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I, I enjoyed today's a deep conversation. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks. My, <laughs> yes. So, okay. The last question, this is a question sure. that I ask uh, every guest. What is your favorite book that you'd like to recommend to the listeners? Um, so we're, books about leadership? No, anything in general, any, any book that you would recommend. 
I'm a big fan of fiction, so oh. you know, anything, yeah, I mean, anything written by Steinbeck, I think, is pretty amazing. The um, The Sea of Cortez, I think, is a really beautiful book that he wrote, especially the epilogue at the end, which is really about his uh, his best friend. Um, there's a few books that I recommend to people. Um, you know, obviously, Multipliers by Liz Wiseman, I think is a great book. And it's very accessible and it's easily applicable to multiple cultures, especially if you're working in an international environment. Um, you know, there's another book that, that I recently read um, around um, culture change. And so there is a uh, this idea of, of changing culture. And so Kevin Oakes has written a book called uh, Culture Renovation that really resonated with me when I had the opportunity to read it. And so I, I think that's another good one that people can uh, invest in. And, uh, you know, podcast, Brene Brown has a great podcast oh, yeah. on leadership as well. And I mm -hmm. love the guests that she's able to bring on. Like she brings on people that you know, I'd love to talk to, but there's no way that I'll ever get a chance to talk to them. So I'm very happy that she is. And it's very nice to hear their perspectives. Yeah. Wow. Today's podcast is like gold, gold, gold. Like, I feel like I have to pay for this speech or lecture or something like that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this is it for the podcast. So yeah, well, Brian, well, thanks for your time today so we're gonna wrap up today's podcast any any words anything that you would like to say before we ends here it's really it's been a great pleasure working with you uh and and having this conversation uh, i'm really excited that we were able to reconnect and uh and talk yeah thanks uh, and uh, yeah uh, you asked some great questions that have really uh, i'm sure i'm going to go back and think about these and it's going to trigger some new idea somewhere so thanks for thanks for giving me that opportunity oh. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for joining us this week. Hope you learned something new from this episode. And now you are motivated and fired up to make your dream come true. Make sure to share with others who might need to listen to this podcast because this is something they needed to listen to to be inspired. We never know. Lastly, be sure to subscribe and follow Self Made Express with Lucy John on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for being here.